Hey, y'all. Welcome to the podcast and YouTube channel. <laughs> My name is Art Burns. Still searching for an intro. <laughs> and so I give you a hey, y'all. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Anyway, Art Burns here. You there. Here's the Service, showing up to your live podcast and YouTube channel, and I'm really happy to be here with you today. Uh, for those of you on the video watching on YouTube, let me know what you think of this new lighting I'm doing. I just, it's very simple changes that I made. I didn't buy anything new or anything like that, but just kind of altered something. I, I really like it. It feels, and it, it doesn't have light shining right in my eyes which I like also. <laughs> I think I might do another adjustment with this other lamp tomorrow. So you'll tell me what you think about it tomorrow too. Well, here we are, uh, Saturday, uh, early afternoon for me. Hope uh, wherever you are, I hope the day, I hope you are meeting the day with a level of compassion, a level of acceptance, and most of all, a level of curious presence that will allow you to to function throughout your day in a place of regulation, right? Because that, that's what this is all about, right? We simply can't show up for our lives. We can't be there for what's happening in our lives if we're dysregulated. It's that simple. It really is, right? And, and of course, dysregulation is just one way to talk about it. We could say, um, we could say it's stress, we could say it's depression, we could say it's anxiety, we could say it's trauma response, we could say all these different things, and they could all be true, and they all are true at various times, right? But the point is that, <laughs> sorry folks, um, the point is that when we're occupied, right, whether that's just a simple dysregulation of our nervous system, which is also the stress response, which is also a trauma, you know, it's, it's really all the same thing, right? And when we're in that state, right, we are not paying attention to what is happening around us, not with the openness, the compassion, and the curiosity that we are when we are in a place of what we call homeostasis, which is the absence of stress, right? When, when we're, you know, specifically what uh, Stephen, uh, Dr. Stephen Porges calls the social engagement um, status of our nervous system, right? That's really what it is. And, and I love the way that he forms that because that's what it is, right? That allows us to now connect to the other people, which really means connecting to life, right? To, to connecting to the present moment, right? And so, so I hope you're doing that. I hope because all it requires is for us to pay attention to what's happening right now, not what might be happening an hour from now, even a minute from now. This comes up quite often too that you know, um, you know, things like the coronavirus have shown us and COVID-19 have shown us that we have no idea what's coming. Right? We really don't. And so so there's no point in spending a lot of time thinking about what's coming. What's really important is to pay attention to what is happening. Because as I, I like to tell you all here very often, life doesn't happen in the future. Life doesn't happen in the past. Life happens right now and only right now. It doesn't happen even a second from now. It doesn't happen a second ago, or even a half, a millisecond. It happens now. And now is not a specific time, right? It's not a minute or a second or a millisecond that you keep dividing down and, and, and splitting, right? No, now is outside of clock time. Now is an essence. Now is life, right? And so, and so the idea then is if we are attending 
to now, attending to now all the time, well, then what we're doing is we're showing up for our lives and we're, and we're here for everything that's going on, right? And we don't judge it because we have an open, curious, and compassionate view for it, a kind view for it. I'm going to teach you a, another kindness practice soon. I don't know if it's going to be today. I think in tomorrow's episode I'll do it because I have to ask the person who taught me uh, how he wants me to credit him for it. So, But it's a really beautiful practice, and I can't wait to share it with you. Actually, I can wait, and I will wait, <laughs> as I just said, but I'm really excited to share it with you. But today what I want to talk about is is really more closely related to to this idea of you know really being in the present, okay? And... You know, one of the really, it's a very peculiar, particular, and common sort of misconception about what mindfulness is. And I, and I come across this all the time with people, like all the time. And the, the notion that I'm talking about, one, one form of this notion, and there's a couple of ways in which it manifests, but one way in which it manifests is that people feel like in order to be mindful, you got to move slowly. And therefore, if you're moving slowly, you're going to get less done, right? So therefore, mindfulness equals less productivity, right? And I am here to tell you that absolutely nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. Okay, because, you know, here I am, Okay, you're looking at a guy who I, you know, I have a coaching practice that I I work from home, right? All day, every day. I am also here with my children all day, every day, right? Taking care of all of their needs, both learning needs and, and, you know, food and drink needs and activity needs, right? If I find, you know, 20 minutes, I got to take my son out and go for a walk, go for a bike ride, right? <laughs> it's It's busy for me. And I also do the laundry and, and a lot of the dishes and some of the cooking. And, and I have my chores every day. The cat litter box is mine. Taking out the garbage. We just gave that one to my son. Hopefully it works. <laughs> but the point is that I don't move slowly at all. In fact, a lot of times I hit, I hit end on this video and I literally run up the stairs. <laughs> like because the, the oven timer is going off and, and the kid's food is going to burn if I don't get up there quickly. Right? And so that doesn't mean that I'm not being mindful when I'm moving quickly, right? Because mindful does, mindfulness does not dictate that we only do things slowly. It doesn't expect us to do that. It doesn't require us to do that. Mindfulness is simply paying attention to what's going on, right? And, and, and here's the thing, right? As I'm paying attention to my body moving quickly, Right? Because, and that's the difference, right? I'm not thinking like, oh my gosh, the timer's going off and, and you know, the food's going to get burnt. I'm not thinking that. I'm just saying timer, it's, I got to go there. It, it's, I got to get there as quickly as I can. But I'm here in the moment, right? I'm not thinking about, oh, what's going to happen if the frozen pizza burned? And, and what am I going to feed the kids? And oh my gosh, am I going to have to run back out to the store? And I got this other appointment that's going on, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm in full-blown stress if that's the way I'm doing things, right? So instead, I can run up the stairs because I know that it's necessary for me to run up the stairs, but I can pay attention to it as I'm doing it. And again, noticing my body moving quickly, noticing my heart rate rising, noticing my, my, my the tension in my body as I'm, as I'm geared up, right? Noticing it. It's awesome. It's fantastic. 
And here's the most important aspect of this, though, right? That when I am moving quickly, but paying attention and still grounding myself in the present moment, then what that means is that I can actually get a lot done very quickly without the stress on my body, right? My body can continually move very quickly because I'm not, you know, I'm not adding any, you know, of that negative stress to it, right? And, and, and what that also means, right, because I'm grounded in the present moment as I'm doing things quickly, what it means is that when I'm done with those things, my body quickly returns back to homeostasis. And that is a very important point here, folks, right? Because what happens, especially with those of us who, who suffer from either PTSD or like me, complex PTSD, CPTSD, <laughs> you know, once we get into that place, you know, where we're constantly worried about like, okay, what's coming next? What's coming next? What's coming next? What's coming next, Right. And therefore, we're inviting that stress into our bodies, right? And then, of course, we're, you know, and, and then, of course, when you're, when you're inviting that stress into your body, then that's when you're likely to make mistakes because you're moving too quickly, right? So you forget to turn the oven off or you, you forget to set the timer or you, you know, and then you got smoke and that's the only way you realize that, oh, my gosh, the pizza's burning, you know? That's where it becomes a problem. It's not the moving fast that's the problem. It's not rushing for something that's the problem, right? It's, it's about whether you're grounded in the rushing or you're not. That's always the case, and, it, and it's always going to be the case. And that's why, you know, you can do things like exercise and be mindful. You can do... You know, there, there's lots and lots of different things that you can do that, that require you to be very, very amped up. But you can still be mindful. Like, like an NFL player could, could be mindful. And I would argue that the, the, the elite sports athletes, they are being mindful. They are grounded in the present moment while they're pushing their bodies to the absolute extent that you and I could never even imagine. Right, you and I couldn't imagine running as fast as some of these guys do. And I know you might think you do, but you don't. I'm telling you, I was on the ice. I used to back in the day, <clears throat> long, long time ago. I was a coach for ice hockey in Harlem, which was a, it probably still is around. It's it's a beautiful program that that what they do is they take donated equipment, uh, a lot of NHL sponsorship and stuff like that, and they go into these uh, the the community of Harlem, which is underserved, you know, minority, um, you know, Hispanic and 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 uh, people of color and. Um, and what we do is we we volunteer, coach, and teach these kids how to skate, how to play hockey. And, and and once a year, what happens is the Rangers, like a couple of the guys from the New York Rangers, will show up to go through a practice with them. And the kids, I mean, I mean the coaches too. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so star striking, you know. Um, and so the reason I'm telling you this though is that I was there, right, next to Alexei Kovalev, right, who is a uh, Stanley Cup champion for the New York Rangers, right, and and all of us lined up on the blue line and it was like okay we're gonna you know skate to the end to the goal line we're gonna test ourselves against the nhl players <laughs> i mean when you're watching it on tv or even from up in the stands you feel like nah, they're not going that fast i could do that right <laughs> i mean 
any of the uh, all of the coaches, every single one of the coaches, you know, maybe like got three steps, three strides, and the NHL players were already across the the ice, like all the way on the other side, literally, like three steps, and they, you know, I, you know, we all got like fifteen feet, and these guys are at the other end of the the ice, like that's how much faster these professional athletes are moving from us, right? But again, they cannot perform just like a musician. They cannot perform if they're thinking like, oh, what's going to happen after the game? Or, or I wonder if I'm going to score a goal this game. Or, or you know, I wonder who's going to win, right? If they're not really in the moment, they're going to miss the play because it's all moving that fast, right? Another very common uh, version of this misconception, because as I said, it, it shows up in a lot of ways, you know, one client I had a long time ago, you know, he was like, he was like, well, I'm trying to figure out what to eat. And I know I got to eat something crunchy so I can be mindful because <laughs> he felt like just having the crunchy texture was what it meant to be mindful that you're paying attention to that crunchy texture. But again, that's not it, right? It's, it's about paying attention to all the textures, it's about paying attention to all the experiences of our lives, whether we're rushing or whether we're taking our time. And so, yeah, so that's what it is. So I wanted to share that with you. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, in the next segment, let's see what we got on on the docket here. And, and by the way, these were all just from this morning. Oh, yeah. I'm going to do another thing that, that kind of illustrates the confirmation bias for you. And uh, I'm going to fix this light real quick and see if it changes on the next video. So you can let me know. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. All right. Welcome back to the second segment here of Saturday, uh, September 25th. Welcome back. It's nice to be here with you. Um, so I think it did help with the lighting. I think it really softened things up, and I'm really happy about that. And also, now I have no lights coming into my eyes. <laughs> I'm really happy about that because um, it means less headaches for me, and that is a positive development in my life. So thank you all for, for witnessing this moment for me. Um, so, so yeah, as I told you in the last uh, segment, I want to talk about the confirmation bias a little bit, right? Because this is one of the most crucial biases that we have. I mean, they're all, all the implicit biases, and there are many of them, right? If you Google implicit biases and, and go on images, you'll see, you know, lots of different pictograms and charts and stuff like that, or read through the text too. You could just go on the web, whatever. Um, but, but there's, you know, there's racial bias, there's sexual bias, there's, um, age bias, there's species bias, there's, um, uh, <laughs> I mean, really, you could figure out a bias for almost any experience that we have, right? But a couple of the really, really common ones that we, we experience every single day, right, the, and the ones that I talk about a lot, and really, I mean, all negative, all, all, all implicit biases are going to be addressed by mindfulness, right? Because remember, what mindfulness is doing is it's simply deepening and developing and sharpening our awareness. When I say sharpening, I mean like you're getting a cleaner feed, right? You're getting a crisper, more sort of high-resolution image of what it is that you're going through, right? On a moment-by-moment -moment basis, right? That's all mindfulness is, okay? And so, so therefore, as we are deepening our awareness, we start to, ha you know, we... we 
within that awareness, we we can include some of these implicit biases. But as soon as soon as the implicit bias is within our conscious awareness, it is no longer implicit; it is explicit. And that means that we can move past it, right? That, that means that we can simply choose not to pay attention to it or not to allow it to impact our moment-by-moment moment experience, right? We have the choice, okay? But they're very, very sneaky, these implicit biases, right? I mean, you're talking, I, I've been practicing for years now, right? And I still get caught up in them sometimes. And it just happened this morning. And I want to tell you all about this, okay? Um, this happens from time to time, right? Um, and again, this, is, this, this addresses what we call the confirmation bias, okay? Um, the negativity bias is, well, any bias, right? What a bias is doing, right? It, it's, it's giving you a biased view, right? Which means that you're no longer seeing things for exactly how they are. You're allowing your own feelings of some sort, like your your own experience, your own feelings, your own emotions, your own hopes and dreams and aversions and, and hates and all that stuff. You're allowing all of that to color what it is that you're seeing, right? And and, and the way the brain works, right, is that because the brain, as, as we've talked about here before, right, I mean, it's 100 billion neurons, each one of those with 10,000 possible connections to other brain, to other brain cells in the, in the 100 billion neurons, it's really, really busy, right? And what it's doing is it's filtering out information all the time, right? All the time. Like there is no way that you could possibly actively and consciously take in every bit of data that comes in through your senses. It's literally impossible. You would not be able to function in the world. Like you would be paralyzed with it, right? I mean, it's something like, I always forget what this number is, but it's like 2 billion bits of data. I want to say it's something staggering like per second or something like that. It's ridiculous, right? I don't know that. Don't quote me on that. I might be, it might be 2 billion a day for all I know, but, but it's something that's staggering because 2 billion bits of data a day is still a lot, right? I don't know if you all know the difference between a million and a billion, right? Well, I mean, obviously we all know the difference between them, but an illustration, a, a beautiful and perfect illustration that really gives people a feel for the difference between a million and a billion. It's not just three extra zeros, right? Those three extra zeros are huge. A, a million seconds is roughly 11 days, okay? How many, do you, how many, how long do you think a billion seconds is? Just give you a little time. Well, it is one million seconds is 11 days. One billion seconds is 35 years. That's the difference between a million and a billion. Just FYI, just thought I'd share that with you. So, so anyway, whether it's a two billion bits of data a day, and two bits of uh, two billion bits of data even a week, it's a lot, right? And there's no way that your your brain can consciously be, you know, focus on each one of these bits of data because again, you're talking about everything in your periphery, every sound, every smell, every every taste, every touch. I mean, it's just too much, right? So therefore, what the brain does in order to be able to function, your brain filters stuff out, 
it doesn't let you see it. Now, of course, as we develop our awareness, we see more and more of this, right? Our brain is filtering out less and less, and that's the implicit biases, right? But the biases are doing exactly that, right? It's, it's hiding information from you so that you can pay attention to the stuff that matters, right? Because remember, and this is the golden rule, right? Anytime you're in doubt, just remember that your brain has one main, I mean, like at the end of the day, it really only has one job. And that job is to keep you alive, right? And so, so it's filtering out data based on like, I don't want you to get distracted by stuff that doesn't matter. So I'm only going to show you the stuff that matters, that's going to keep you safe. I'm only going to show you the stuff that you're threatened by so that we can keep you safe. And so, again, the two real big ones, in my opinion, I mean, and they're all important, right? Like racial bias is huge, right? And we have to be able to bring awareness to that so that we can function with people of, of other races. Like it's, it's very, very important, right? But the ones that come up, like literally, no matter what the situation, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, the, the negativity bias and the confirmation bias are the big ones, okay? So anyway, this, this that I'm going to talk about now really applies to the confirmation bias, right? Which again, now the, not again, but <laughs> let me tell you what the confirmation bias is. Negativity bias, as I started to say, is where your brain only allows you to see the things that or, or shows you a lot more of the things that are negative versus the things that are positive. And there's some psychologists out there who I've told you, they, they claim that it's like a three to one ratio. There's some issues with that math. So we'll just say it's a, a, a theory, a, a hypothesis, right? Whether it's three or two or one and a half, I mean, the point is that we see more negativity than we see positive. That is not in dispute, okay? And so the confirmation bias in a similar way, the confirmation bias when we're looking for something or when we're just surveying the, the surroundings, right, the confirmation bias is going to encourage us to see the things that, we, that confirm our beliefs, okay? confirm what we already believe. Now, this, of course, keeps us stuck in an echo chamber, and that's alone not great, right? Because you want to be able to challenge your beliefs, right? And of course, that is something that we do in mindfulness, right? But let me give you a great example of a personal thing that happened with the confirmation bias, and it just happened this morning, right? So I was looking for a book, right? And I just needed the name, like the spelling of the author's name. So instead of going on Google, I was like, the book's right here. I just look, I'll just turn around and look, right? Now, I don't know if you remember me telling you, but my my beautiful, wonderful daughter, and by the way, today is International Daughter's Day, apparently, so... If you have a daughter, tell her you love her today, okay? Just just tell her that you're happy that she's in your world today, okay? Even if you don't believe it, because <laughs> I know how that feels. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but my beautiful, wonderful daughter, she rearranged my bookshelf, right? And so <laughs> it's not in the same order that I used to, to keep it. So my books are not grouped the way, you know, they're just like alphabetized. And it's like so cute. It's alphabetized by like the first word. So like... There's a, a hundred books under T for the, right? <laughs> it's so sweet when you think back about, you know, being a kid and how that logic worked, you know? Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so I'm looking for this book and I, I, it's, I'm like, oh, where is it? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And here's the thing, right? I was positive. 
and I and I'm sure this has happened to some of you, right? I was, I mean, so positive that I literally would have bet my life on this, right? Like that's how sure I was that this book I was looking for was a white spine with black type and a red word on it, right? I was positive of that. <laughs> you know where this is going, right? You know where it's going. And this has happened to me in stores. I remember one time I was, what was I looking for? Oh man, what was it? It was, I don't remember what it was, but there was some product and I was like, I was like, I don't see it anymore. Oh, it was a vitamin. It was a vitamin of some sort, right? And again, I was positive that it was a white bottle with a green label. Like that was like no doubt in my mind. And I looked and I looked and I looked. I must have been standing there for like 10 minutes and, and there was nobody around to help me. Like none of the store clerks were around and I was just like getting more and more frustrated. Like, where is this vitamin? I need it so I can feel better. Where is it? And I mean, this is a vitamin bottle I've been looking at every single morning. And I was so convinced that it was a white bottle with a green label. And so finally I found something. I was like, I got to find this thing. It's called Butcher's Broom. And it helps me with a, a, a thing that I have going on. And, uh, and so, and the guy's like, oh, Butcher's Broom. Yeah, sure. It's right here. And he takes it off and it's like a brown bottle with like a, a gray label. And, and, and it was definitely the one that I've been using every day. Like I looked at it, I was like, wait, no, that is the bottle. <laughs> There's nothing white about it. There's nothing green about the label. Nothing at all was with the way that I thought it was going to be. And so therefore, I looked at that bottle, just like I looked at my books, 15 times. I passed by that exact bottle that I was looking for a minimum of 15 times. And yet I couldn't see it. I literally couldn't see it. And I'm mindful, right? Like I'm not like distracted and, and you know, uh, aloof and stuff. I mean, I'm grounded in what I'm doing. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. I must have looked at that bottle at least 15 times. And that's how powerful the confirmation bias is, right? So, so it's, a very, it's very helpful when we, you know, how can we apply this to practice, right? So the way we can apply this to practice is when we get the feeling like we're really sure of something, stop, just pause for a moment and consider what if it's the opposite of what I think? What if, what if I'm wrong? Like what if I'm just way off? And, you know, maybe that makes you ask the clerk sooner or maybe, just maybe, it opens you up so that you're not looking just for the white bottle with the green, you know, uh, label or the white spine with the black type and the, and the red color of the word, right? Instead, you're looking for something more broad and then maybe, just maybe, you'll find it even sooner. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I wish you well. I'll be back again tomorrow. Take care.